when they ask us what is the subject that you want to, to explain today, we spoke about some facts and different things that you can find in the, 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 summer, the, the sum up of the, the, of the presentation. Actually, we just changed in the meantime the, the title and the, the orientation of this presentation. So the title will be the paradigm shift in the wine industry because we just realized that we, we will try to show you some figures, but the reality is that from the last five years and, uh, and actually even more this year, the industry is totally changing. Uh, I think it's not, uh, it's not a small change and it's going to be something that will affect the future. So, let's go. So, I'm a, I'm a wine broker. I'm working for, I'm working for Ciari for the last uh, 11 years. Uh, I don't have a MW uh, letters next to my name, but I did a master degree in uh, the Burgundy School of Dijon. Uh, and before that, I was working five years for uh, a co-op in the Languedoc uh, Roussillon area. Uh, mm, so Ciari is a, a bulk uh, brokerage company having eight offices around the world and the French office that I'm uh, handling is taking care of the sourcing of the French market, Italian market, Spanish market and we also take care of all the clients in the European region that are looking for any kind of bulk wine or even case goods, uh, private label wines. So, quick introduction about uh, who we are. Um, so the company has been created 47 years uh, ago by uh, Joe Ciari. Uh, Ciari, or Ciati actually in Italian. Um, it's a partner-based uh, global brokerage, so we are totally independent. We, are, we have six uh, partners in the US office and uh, the other offices of the company are having a level of uh, shareholding from the, their managers. We are 45 people total and uh, 22 dedicated brokers uh, and experienced brokers. To give you an idea, I'm 11 years old. The oldest are probably more than 30 years old experience. We try to keep our uh, employees and our staff happy and, uh, and I think it's a good thing also for our clients because they, they have after speakers that knows what they are talking about. Uh, I was talking about the offices. We have eight offices in the producing and the consuming countries. And uh, probably lots of people, lots of you knows about Ciari through the monthly reports that we are editing and distributing. Uh, and actually it's funny that sometimes people come to see us saying, hey, I know you, sorry, but we don't know you. Initially it's supposed to be in the end of our buyers. We are happy that it's uh, it's uh, helpful for some of you, but uh, it's uh, yeah something that we are working hard every month to make uh, to try to um, yeah to try to dig some good information for our clients to let them understand what is the market uh, where where is the market going what are the price of uh, each category so so anyway but so far it's still available on our website so you are invited to to go on it if you haven't uh, read it before. So a few facts to start speaking about uh, this topic. Um, I just wanted to summarize few, three things that have uh, brought us to this uh, paradigm change. First is the globalization, then the concentration, and then the competition. So we'll try to run through the, the, 
few main uh, ideas behind all of these uh, big topics. Concentration of the players first. Uh, everybody is Everybody who is in the wine business have seen that every year the list of the players is, tends to shrink, to, to, to become shorter. Um, it's the case for the distribution, for the bottlers. We have a funny joke actually in France. Every time there's a company that, uh, which is on the way to be purchased, it's either Castel or Les Granchets who are the, the two potential uh, candidates to buy it. Uh, but for the, it's not only a phenomena happening for the, for the bottlers, it's also something that we see on the production side. Uh, it's the fusion of the co-ops, for instance, happening in France, but in every other region where the, the co-op movement is important. Um, it's about the, uh, the vineyards uh, that are bought by bigger uh, operators because we are really facing a critical size that push some people just to just to leave the, the business when they are not uh, even able to, uh, uh, to, make, to make profit out of their business. And we are also seeing that some jobs are disappearing. Uh, we are here in England. I remember the English market uh, five or seven years ago when the, the London-wide trade fair was uh, taking place in uh, Excel. We had a lot of agents, agencies as uh, clients really at that time of the year really few of them are still there I mean most of them have been uh, bought or merged by, uh, by bigger ones um, on, the, on the brokerage it's also the case we are in the Languedoc region we have probably about 50 brokers 50 local brokers in the, in the area but the reality is that all the local and really small ones that used to only uh, get some wine from some uh, wineries and bring them to the to the 10 kilometers distance buyers, these guys, they are almost disappearing because they, they don't have any more value added in their, in their business. Um, I also wrote the wine bulk merchants. Uh, it's uh, all those companies that used to buy and resell wines as kind of traders, but that didn't really uh, even host the wine or store the wine. They were just uh, making operation on that. So they were basically trading, but not having a uh, a real value added on the, on the, for their clients. So that's the first thing. I, I wanted also to bring some facts and figures uh, to, to illustrate this, uh, this speech. Uh, it is coming from um, a presentation from um, a researcher called Alfredo Coelho. He's uh, one of the rare guys who's uh, publishing some stats and uh, articles about the bulk business and he's uh, right now the director of uh, a wine program, a wine and business program in uh, Bordeaux. So on the, I don't know if it's easy to, to see from uh, where you are, but basically it's just to show the evolution of the, the fusion and the merging that happened in the last 10 years. This, uh, this report was done in uh, 2012, so we don't have uh, more recent news to, to bring, but once again, look every year the, the rankings that are published by uh, the major uh, magazines and you will see that the list is, uh, yeah, the list is becoming uh, shorter and shorter. Other things to explain the, the changes, we have the tougher competition. At the moment, we have, uh, I would say, less specialization for dedicated market, meaning that everybody wants to sell everywhere. Um, and 
we will see that with the next uh, slide, uh, the, the exports of whites keep on increasing in all the categories. Somehow, yeah, and we have also another phenomena, which is that more and more tender process arriving with a, a shorter and a shorter time to submit the, this offer. So, just to illustrate the, the previous thing that I was talking about, the, 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 the sales. So, just, I haven't, uh, I haven't caught uh, the source of these two reports. First one on the left is coming from uh, Corriere Vinicolo, from uh, Carlo Flamini. So it's, uh, if you don't know this, uh, this magazine, it's a really, really good uh, one. And, uh, and it's showing actually the global uh, wine trade value index. So you have package, bulk, and actually the old bulk before the custom uh, code was changed. So everything above two liters is considered as bulk. From now on, uh, actually this year, if you start, if you are really interested by figures about bulk, you will really be able to look at that in a more precise way because we will differentiate the, the back-in box from the, from the bulk, bulk uh, exports. Then you have the sparkling and you have the total. And if you look at the, the, the graph below, you see that it keeps on increasing actually the, from the last uh, 24, so yeah, yeah, let's say the last 15 years, the trend is uh, always positive. The graph from the right is uh, coming from the OIV uh, 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 report. And uh, it's funny because it's uh, also explaining this on a, probably a longer period in value and volume. Another thing that is really important for me, and I mean it's kind of the, the answer that we are giving daily to the people who come uh, like this morning and say, hey, what's new in the bulk? Everything is new, but it's totally unpredictable right now. Uh, if you look at uh, the consumption, it was stable or lower over the last 10 years, but it was increasing over the last 20. The world production really shows this year that it's, uh, we are talking about uh, uh, something coming from nature, so it's not, uh, we are not talking about uh, other things that you can manufacture or build easily. If mother nature is not, uh, happy in the different regions where the, the wine is produced, you arrive to the consequence that we are experiencing today. Meaning that uh, the, the crops can randomly change and, uh, and some uh, yeah, weather accident can have uh, huge impacts on the, the final figures and the final availability of, uh, of wine. One example, for instance, that everybody heard is uh, South Africa because uh, in most of the news, we speak about them, the, the drought which is, uh, that they are basically facing. But are you aware, for instance, that Italy is almost living the same situation at the moment? I mean, the Sicily region in Palermo, they are almost under the same contingent of, uh, of uh, water. Puglia, they, Puglia is also um, having some issues with, uh, with water. I took the last uh, digits. I don't know if they are actually official because it's only coming from my uh, uh, weather station, my own weather station, but I recorded the amount of water that we got from the beginning of the year in the Languedoc. We are usually getting uh, 600 millimeters you know, on average and we are only at 250. 
And we know that if we don't have a really rainy uh, spring, which is usually not really happening, we will also have uh, not enough water for a normal crop. So, yeah, just to also illustrate the, the, the subject of the, of the production, which can be really unpredictable. Few graphs to illustrate that and basically explain what I was uh, saying before about the production. You can look at the, sorry, the consumption. You can look at the, the graph uh, below showing these two trends. And, uh, and another one coming also from the OIV uh, explaining the shift in uh, wine consumption and showing actually that uh, Europe is, uh, is uh, losing its importance uh, against uh, Asia and uh, America. Just to summarize also and give a good uh, comment about these figures because it's, it's almost crazy to imagine that at that time of the year, we are in February, all the declarations of the crops in Europe are electronically made. We don't have uh, at that time the official figures of the, the crop in France, Italy or Spain. All the figures that you are having in mind, they are just uh, stats. The latest are probably have been redefined um, in uh, October, but all these stats are all, all these figures are just forecasts. They are not uh, definitive figures. And if you want to have uh, an indication about what's going on, you need to rely on the custom uh, figures, the OIV figures. But these figures are. Two, one year and a half or two years old. So it's almost as if you wanted to drive your company only looking in the back mirror and, and not having a, yeah, someone to really help you and have the kind of co-pilot on the, the right side. So sorry, I'm pushing already my presentation in the brokerage value-added uh, model, but uh, anyway, it was just to illustrate also my, uh, my, my speech. So I wanted after this uh, kind of introduction and uh, putting the facts on to speak about what is the how was the world before and to compare that to what it is right now and what it, it will be in the future. So what was the model of the past? The sourcing action was super simple for buyers. Sorry to say that, but I mean it was when you are swimming in a world of wine and you are having a lot of uh, wine available, it's, uh, it was actually easy and it, it would have been a fault for them not to impose actually their conditions. And it was what was happening uh, uh, probably even uh, last year. To give you some idea, the cheapest uh, generic wine that was uh, on the market was coming from Spain. Spain is expressing his, uh, his offers in an ecto-grade model, meaning that you, don't, you pay uh, a price per alcohol content possible. So at the end of the, the crop, if you, want, if you were a buyer and wanted to do your market for, for I don't know, filling some uh, wine coolers program, you could come in July and you could probably spend uh, two euros per hectograde, meaning that if you buy 12% uh, alcohol, you spend 24 cents per liter, meaning 18 cents Per, uh, per equivalent of a 75 uh, centiliters bottle. At that time, as I was explaining before, this price was not even the one uh, asked by the, the producer. It was probably 220, 230, but 
being a buyer, you could come and say, sorry, but if you want this wine to be out of your cellar before the new harvest is coming, my price is two euro per, uh, per hectograde. And it was working. And I mean, if we look at the traditional streams of the sales, it was almost easy to predict because we knew that, for instance, speaking about Spain, first market for them as a country, as a country was France, second was uh, Germany. And all these, all these wines were bought for the last five or 10 years only to uh, fill some uh, bag-in-box program, wine coolers program, uh, for the whites, all the sparkling, uh, not uh, Charmat method, I would say, uh, uh, cuve clothes, uh, were coming from this uh, origin. It's not working. Ah, yeah. So, actually, to illustrate uh, this, I just took again uh, a presentation from uh, Alfredo Coelho, this uh, researcher in Bordeaux, who, who did that in 2014 to explain. On the left side, you see the producing countries, and on the right side, you see the, the consuming countries that can also be sometimes producing countries. And it was a way for him to show him that uh, you see, for instance, Spain, the, the biggest part, yeah, the two biggest parts are going one in uh, Germany and the second one in, uh, in France. So it was a visual way to show where the wine was, uh, was heading every year. And this model could have been, we could have duplicated that for the last five years. It was not changing that much. At few uh, percentage, but it was more or less the same uh, picture. But no one, it's no more the, 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 the same thing, basically. So, how does the wine business looks right now? I was speaking about uh, swimming in the in the sea of wine, it's no more the case. So this year, you had to buy early to make sure that you could uh, you could lock and uh, and uh, and make sure to have your volumes. Price is no more the the, the key factor because it was for many of uh, our buyers, they were more um, concerned about not having enough volume for their programs than spending more than. Uh, than uh, they, they used to pay in the past. Somehow the prices, uh, if you speak with uh, many, of, uh, many people that I recognize here that are bottlers, they are not that worried about the price. As long as their competitors get the same conditions, they know that they will be uh, fighting on the same field. But if you don't have, if you don't have the weapons, uh, well, it's not probably, <laughs> not probably a good, uh, good uh, example, but if you don't have the same mean than the others, you won't have any chance to fight. And the volume was uh, one of the key, actually, in this, uh, in this battle. Um, I also, speaking about price, in the past, we knew that there was always some uh, uh, fluctuation along the year. And, uh, and actually, it was part of the strategies from the, from the buyers to really uh, define at the really beginning of the crop, how should I uh, cover my, uh, my needs? Should I buy? Uh, one third in the next two months, should I buy another third in, uh, in after uh, December, for instance, and finish uh, covering my needs before the, the new harvest come? It was the case when we had, uh, again, too much wine because it was a good way for them to sometimes lower their uh, average uh, cost by getting uh, cheaper wines before, the, before harvest time. But 
from what we have seen in the last two years, actually, in many categories, the price keeps on increasing from the, from the harvest till, uh, till now. And that's actually the case uh, uh, nowadays. Um, what is changing also? The regulation that are, that are also affecting the market. Uh, to take, we, I heard in a, a conference of this morning uh, the Prosecco example, but we could speak about a more recent uh, change with the Pinot Grigio from Italy. Um, there has been a lot of confusion uh, about that, and if you look at your labels in England, I think you will see many of uh, exotic uh, origins for Pinot Grigio because uh, many of the bottlers they were a bit concerned about. What will have been the what will be the change with this new regulation? But the reality is that, for instance, on the Pinot Grigio, it's 85% of this varietal which is uh, coming from the North region and mainly in the Veneto area. So you will find probably some Sicilian uh, Pinot Grigio in, on your labels. You will find some Pavia, some Puglia. But when you are a player who needs to buy uh, one, two, three million liters of a Pinot Grigio. Uh, probably that's going to be tricky to find this volume from uh, Sicily or somewhere else than uh, Veneto area. Um, other things to speak about the change of the regulation, we see more and more regions that are trying to protect uh, their own industry, their own bottling industry, by putting a more, uh, uh, a less flexible um, uh, possibility to bottle the, the wine. So that's the case of the, most of the DOCs in Italy, where you have to buy, to, to bottle in the growing region, and it was already the case in some uh, Spanish uh, region. Uh, I mentioned that because with the DOC Sicilia for the Nero d'Avola and the Grillo, it means that our buyers who had in the past some Nero d'Avola blends with other varietals that were bottling that uh, in their winery, they will have to think to another solution to, to, face, uh, to face this. Uh, the challenge is, yeah, they can also come from uh, highly fashion products. Uh, let's put the Prosecco apart, but think to the Provence Rosé. Provence is something which was, uh, until four years ago, doing well, but not that well. Ten years ago, it was a region with uh, probably producing uh, more red than uh, rosé. And this year, if you are a new player who just, if, let's say, if you, are, um, if you are a bottler with a marketing team which is really, really uh, exciting about launching a new Provence rosé on the US market because they have looked at the, the stats and they saw that it was uh, one product that was uh, driving the, the consumption and that was also generating uh, high margins. You, and if you are the buyer in front of uh, these marketing guys, you should just tell them to forget that because it's impossible at that time of the year to find uh, Provence Rosé available on the market. The, the price is, uh, is uh, going to the roof. Uh, it was uh, last year probably 2 euro 50 per liter. Now we are spending 4 euros per liter to get a Provence Rosé. And, and if you can get uh, a full container and you are and you don't have the need for this full container you can come to my stand and I will sell it in the next uh, couple of minutes so it's uh, it's totally crazy so all this uh, changing all this fashion all these different things are making the are making our jobs uh, more difficult
um, other subjects, yeah, on the generics, it's um, difficult to, to explain what's going on in only 25 minutes, so I hope that I'm not uh, going, uh, I'm okay? Okay. Um, so generics is a big segment of the wine business because it's used for many different programs. It can be used for uh, bag-in-box, uh, it can be used for, I don't know, wine coolers, it can be used for many, many, many things. We, when I was speaking before about uh, the, how was the old world and the old streams of business, for instance, taking an example that I know pretty well, the French market, most of our uh, entry-level categories uh, have disappeared for the last five years. I mean, we were twice more expensive than the Spanish ones. And, uh, and from, yeah, in, uh, let's say, in the last five years, most of the players finally decided to rename or to change the origin of their uh, blend. So instead of being 100% of uh, generic wine, generic French wine, it's starting becoming 50% uh, of Spain and 50% of France. And now it's probably 99% of uh, Spanish. Everything is sold under the Van de la Communauté, so European blend, Van de la Communauté European. And the reality is that the, the final consumer doesn't really care about that. I mean, as long as the price is okay, the quality is good, they are happy to, to keep buying the same, uh, the same product. So, these generics, they are driving a, a lot of volume on the market, as uh, sold as wine, but also sold as uh, coolers. If you take uh, another example, the grapefruit rosé, which is really popular in France, it can be from France, but it can be from uh, another country in Europe, and actually in the wine cooler category, it can be from anywhere in the, in the world. So if you don't have enough wine from, uh, from Spain, for your program, you can go in uh, South Africa, and uh, and that's it, and it's uh, it's still okay. What is important behind uh, this idea of being able to switch from one region to the other is the fact that for a lot of buyers, uh, before they even considered looking at uh, uh, non-European origin for their blends, they were most of them were thinking, wow, the cost of the transport can be really important. If I, it's better probably to buy from uh, Spain from our generic program than go in uh, South Africa because it's uh, 7,000 kilometers away. The reality is that the price difference is, uh, is almost nothing. Uh, to give you an idea, landing uh, from a FOB price from uh, South Africa, so FOB Cape Town, Delivering this product in uh, any bottler in Europe, I'm not speaking about duties or anything, just the, tr the, the freight itself, we are talking about uh, 11 to 12 cents per liter. While at the same time, let's take the example of a bottler that will be in the Burgundy region. If he wants to bring the wine that he bought from uh, Spain by uh, truck, he will pay probably 9 cents uh, of transport. So, the, the, the cost of putting a wine on the water is nothing. It's totally nothing. So, so that's why I came also to the point that for many buyers, they are forced somehow to look at uh, what is the final delivered price and what is the final uh, availability that, can, can get, that, that, ah, that I can get 
uh, and they don't necessarily are focused at the really beginning on the origin of this wine. They will, they will just make simple math of saying, here is the price of my wine, let's make the, the exchange rate a conversion, uh, let's add the cost of the treatments if they are not uh, included yet, let's add the, the, the cost of the transport, and, look, and also look at the duties. What makes the success of the South African rosé, for instance, in, uh, in Europe and mainly in France, was just coming from the fact that the European community gives a, a, has a free trade agreement on the rosé and the red as bulk below the 13% alcohol. And uh, what has made the success of the Chilean wines uh, on the export worldwide, it's almost the same thing. They have, they have um, negotiated free trade agreements in most of the countries. So that's why they are also that uh, aggressive on, uh, on many markets. So coming back to my uh, math problem with the South African wine, duties in this case, if it's a rosé, it's zero. So it's, uh, it's changing a lot the, the, yeah, the final math. Um, ah, I need to find out why I, I wrote this, uh, letter, this, uh, this uh, sentence. Other wine needs. A funny thing that's happening this year that we couldn't really realize before because we had a, a, a price range of the wine that was uh, larger, but with really entry-level price and uh, higher price, we, the, the wine players, they were mainly competing each other and they had no external players uh, uh, facing them. When I mean external players, I'm speaking about the food industry, like the vinegar or the distillers companies. At the price point that we are uh, at that time of the year, uh, some vinegars are actually uh, able to pay exactly the same price for a normal wine, just because they also need the wine. In the past, these guys, they will spend uh, half of the price of a generic because they will, they will have also a lot of options in front of them. They will buy uh, uh, wines with a high uh, volatile acidity and they will put a huge discount on the, the regular price for this wine. Nowadays, all these uh, wines that are having some issues, they are not existing anymore. So, and, and these uh, vinegar guys, for instance, when they need the wine, uh, they are happy to pay the same price for a regular price than, uh, than uh, any other player in the industry. So that's adding another um, uh, competition to the existing one, actually. And, and the competition which is uh, yeah, in the food industry, so it's not the same. Uh, yeah. They have the probably other, uh, other means to, to afford when they, when they really want to buy something. Another point that I, I found interesting was to speak about these uh, selling countries that are becoming buyers. And and I already explained a bit uh, this phenomena, saying that uh, we, have some, uh, we have some countries that can be produce, producers, but uh, when they... Let's take an example to make it uh, easier. Think about Argentina. Argentina, you have the idea of uh, a, a big producing country, I'm not super expert, but I think it's probably around 15 million hectoliters of, uh, of crop per year. Uh, this country this year, they had two years in a row of uh, lower production, and this year they had probably minus 35 or minus 40 percent. 
Argentinian wines are really popular for export. Mainly, they are mainly known with the Malbec. But they couldn't... The Argentina, Argentina country is also a big consumer in uh, America. And uh, I think it's by far the, the biggest consumer of wine in South America. And they couldn't... Uh, uh, they couldn't lose export, they couldn't lose the, the, the local market, so they had to make some uh, decision. And actually this year, Argentina will become the second largest buyer of uh, Chilean wines, will become the second exporter for the Chilean wines, just because they, need, they needed some wine and entry-level wines to fit their, uh, their programs. So what I wanted to, to illustrate through that, which is, it can be Argentina, but it can be many other countries, uh, it's all these countries that can, uh, from a, a year to the other, that are filling the gap of their needs or the, they are with uh, external uh, purchase just to make sure that uh, they are not affecting too much their export and they are not uh, losing their market share for their national uh, consumption. So it was the example that I, uh, that I just brought. Actually, I brought another one. Uh, again with Chile and uh, this time with Spain. If you remember 2012, uh, it was the year where we had uh, um, a smaller uh, crop in Spain with uh, really high prices. And Chile was exporting in uh, 2012 40 million liters of wine, which is, which is pretty interesting. I mean, to compare to the 7 million liters from Argentina when uh, nothing is moving. And in uh, the year 2013, they just, uh, they almost doubled that, doubled that digit. And, uh, and it's funny because we speak about a country that is producing probably 40 million hectoliters, so 400 million liters. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a big figure actually of, uh, of imports just for, yeah, just for a country which is uh, normally only focused on the entry, okay, entry level categories. So, what can we expect in the future? Uh, it's already the case at the moment. We, we clearly see that uh, as a buyer, if you will want to uh, lock your needs, you will have to invest more in the relationship with the growers through uh, pre-harvest contract or multi-year commitment. Uh, that's the case for the organic wine in France, which is a really dynamic uh, segment. Uh, and uh, to give you an idea, if you, if you want some white wine, organic wine from a white organic wine from France, yeah, you should be ready to write your name on the queuing list and be only delivered in the two or three years time because uh, right now everything is sold out for the next uh, two years. Um, so as I uh, explained before, when we were in the past world, we could say that power was in the end of the buyers. Now it's coming back in the producer's uh, end. Um, few changes that we will see uh, is that some of these big uh, companies, big groups that were having their brands and, uh, and that could use the... Um, I don't find the English word, the level effect of uh, being a big buyer. They could sometimes get benefit of their position, get uh, more volume as bulk that they could then resell to other clients. 
this system won't exist anymore because as most of these guys are suffering to uh, uh, to have enough wine for their own needs, they have no ch they, they won't have any chance to, to resell uh, uh, surplus which is not existing as bulk. Uh, unpredictability of the sales, yeah, is a, a kind of difficult point because if you were used to produce. Uh, every time the same kind of wine because I don't know you were you knew that uh, your Chinese clients they will be always be there this year to take this amount of wine or your American client will be able to buy uh, uh, a kind of more premium varietal with what's going on with all these different changes in uh, in the world it's making the the forecast totally impossible for the growers because uh, things can change uh, really really quickly uh, yeah, so to summarize that, the biggest key will be the sourcing for the, for the future. Yeah, another thing that I, uh, I wanted to add is the, uh, when we look deeper in these uh, stats from the OIV, we clearly see that uh, bulk hasn't been the category that was... Uh, having huge uh, changes of volumes and value over the last uh, 10 or 20 years, but it was always growing uh, significantly and steadily uh, uh, during the time. And, and bulk, uh, when we spoke, when I heard uh, earlier the tariffs or all the duties uh, impact, in most of the, the countries, bulk is the category which is uh, less affected by the, by the duties. So we could imagine that it will uh, it will remain uh, cheaper against, uh, against um, uh, importing a final uh, product. Uh, yeah, and probably let's conclude with that. I mean, we speak about uh, we China for on the national on the international level is uh, an important uh, buyer at the, at the moment. But when you look at the latest stats, they are one of the largest uh, vineyards of the moment. Okay, a big part of this vineyard is going into uh, table grapes and not, only, uh, not necessarily to be transformed into wine. But uh, what happens if uh, tomorrow they decide to, to produce wine and really, uh, and really go on the market and sell that? Uh, there was uh, two weeks ago... Um, uh, a documentary on the French uh, television speaking about the tomato business and uh, for the one of you that are curious about uh, other fields of the agriculture I really recommend you to look at what's going on in uh, other products uh, other agriculture products and tomatoes for instance uh, China is the second uh, producer second player in the world after the US and, uh, and they just bet the, the Italian so it's yeah what will happen uh, if they finally decide to go in the wine business too. So, so in conclusion, we can say that uh, the world is totally upside down. Uh, the world will continue to, to get more and more complex. It's really important to understand uh, the global dynamics and to seek independent advice. For instance, taking his time to attend to those conferences, I think is a good thing to, to have um, uh, an inside view from uh, different players in the in the wine industry. Um, of course, if you are a buyer and you are not working with us, 
you are invited to meet us on our stand because I think having a broker as a buyer or a seller is a good advantage to give you uh, an overall idea about uh, what's going on and give you some uh, guidelines. Um, time is precious and uh, sometimes are really time consuming. Coming back to the export or other tenders, we all know that uh, some clients want the sample for the day before they have asked you to, to, to send that. And uh, sampling and uh, having this sample is uh, costing a lot of time and money. And so, just to conclude, we can't predict future, but uh, yeah, we are there to help you anticipate it and give you uh, yeah, some advice to face, uh, to face these changes. Thank you, and I hope that I have been uh, too long, and my French was not too terrible for you, but uh, thanks. Yeah.